Last week, uh, Phil gave us uh, a few little uh, jokes. They perhaps aren't, you know, stretched the definition of joke a little bit, but uh, I thought I'd uh, give it a good shot this week. So, uh, are you ready? You may uh, be helped by your Christmas crackers. Uh, why was the snowman looking through the carrots? I don't know. Why was <laughs> Thanks for entering into it, Phil. <laughs> he was picking his nose. Oh, I know. What about... What, what, uh, this is a topical one. What does the Queen call her Christmas broadcast? The One Show. You're a hard group today, I tell you. (laughs) They're too clever. Okay, here's a longer one. Um, It's not a cracker joke. Uh, After the Advent uh, church service, an eight-year-old called Lee said to the preacher, when I grow up, I'm going to give you some money. Well, thank you, the preacher replied. But why? Because my father says that you're one of the poorest preachers we've ever had. (laughs) You liked that one, didn't you? I won't take that one personally. Uh, How did uh, Mary and Joseph know Jesus' weight when he was born? Because they had a way in a manger. There you go. (laughs) So, this reading reminds us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that he went to Egypt, and he ended up in Nazareth. And then it was, uh, there's a little refrain that came through that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. He will be born in Bethlehem. I called my son out of Egypt and he shall be called a Nazarene. One of the things I, I always marvel at and love in the, the Christmas story is how it's earthed and rooted and goes way back into that rich, uh, that rich uh, depth of the Old Testament. That this wasn't just happens chance. It was foretold. But there's something about that, that looking back on it, you think, God, your plan is amazing. The way that it unfolded and absolutely we celebrate. But you know that, that it's only by looking back that we're able to see the pattern and discern. It's much harder looking forwards. Think about Joseph. We don't know a huge amount of Joseph. Uh, he, he's there at the beginning and is absent when Jesus has grown somewhat. He and Mary had to travel over 60 miles to get to Bethlehem. And, and she's not just a little pregnant, she's big pregnant. 60 miles of Joseph leading her on a donkey. Well, that's the tradition anyway. Or maybe she was sitting on some handmade wooden cart with wooden wheels, no shock absorbers, and felt every bump and rut in the road. We think our roads are bad with potholes. Every rock jarring her. That trip, which took days and days over rough, rocky, dirty roads, wasn't fun. It must have been horrendous. And on top of that, Joseph and Mary didn't have visa debit or a lot of money. They would spend days maybe sleeping out in the open. And finally to get there, Joseph tries to find a place because his wife is pregnant and nearly due. 
And they say, no room. And Joseph had to be saying, God, why are you letting this happen? Somebody says, well, there's a stable down here. And Joseph is thinking, a stable? Dirty? Animal-filled? Fragrant? Stable? God, what's going on? I thought that this child was going to be blessed by you. What am I going to do, God? Where are you? You see, I don't think Joseph uh, was thinking this. I wonder how you're going to get us to Bethlehem so this prophecy could be fulfilled. He couldn't see it looking forward. Looking forward and in the the day-to-day grind, it seemed hard and wrong and confusing and maybe even cruel. It was only by looking backwards that he could, be, could fully understand that God would actually use a world ruler and shift the whole world around. I mean, we heard it. It's a challenging story. Caesar in Rome. You know what? I've got an idea. We're going to take a census and we're going to do something new. I want to find out how many people are in my empire because... Taxes need to be paid. And so everyone's got to go back to the town that they came from. I want everyone to go back to where their family roots are. And we're going to take the census. And if Caesar says it, Caesar declares it, no one should disobey. And looking back, we go, God, you're amazing. You used this selfish, prideful world ruler and you shifted people all over the world to bring to pass your long foretold plan. I'll guarantee you, though, Joseph wasn't thinking, that's amazing. And then they had to flee to Egypt. To Joseph, who'd arrived in Bethlehem with his pregnant wife and child was born. Some amazing things happened. Yes, but suddenly impending calamity. The threat of the life of their child. It looked like things were getting worse. Not in Joseph's thought, I wonder how you're going to get us down here and fulfill that prophecy. Imagine thinking of using an insane murderous king to fulfill your plan. Fantastic God, bring it on. But Joseph, with his wife and son, what next? I'm not sure he could have seen it all going forward. The Bible said he was afraid. Maybe later, looking back, he could, as we can, discern God's amazing plan being unfolded. But in the midst of of it, going through it. It just looked like trouble upon trouble upon trouble. That's one of the wonders of the Christmas story. That we can know it and recite it and tell it and the children will enact it for us next week and it's brilliant. 
And it can seem uh, such as that as just this performance back in history. It can seem like, like it's, it's, it's oh so beautiful, and it is. But it can seem oh so abstract from us. But in it are real disciples, a man and a woman going through the real stuff of life and finding it doesn't always seem to be clear. In the good days, we can remember that the Bible declares that God makes known the beginning from the end, Isaiah 46.10. From the very beginning, telling you what the ending will be, all along letting you in on what is going to happen, assuring you, I'm in this for the long haul, I'll do exactly what I set out to do. But for God, he knows We can affirm that that wonderful promise in Romans 8 that we know that God is working all things for the good of those who love who have been called according to his purpose. But in that, remember, that means our failures can mean our mistakes and the world events that he weaves his plan through it all. At the end of 2019, a decade draws to a close. How's this year been? Lots of things, perhaps, to look and celebrate. But maybe it's been really hard. Maybe you've been carrying those things that are difficult to express, that lurking doubt that unease, that wondering, where's God in this difficult season? Pondering, perhaps like Joseph, God, what is happening? Why? Where are you? Just like Joseph, on the cusp of a new year going forward, we can't necessarily see the plans and purposes of God being worked out. And though God does not cause bad things to happen, I want to underline that. He doesn't cause bad things to happen. He's not outmaneuvered. That he certainly can be trusted to trust him. One of the things I'm always astonished by as I read, again, the Christmas story, and we know the characters and we know the scenes, but again and again, the breakthrough of God, in the angelic utterances, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, in the declaration of the word through the prophets and this little drumbeat, and this was fulfilled. God is trustworthy, even in the midst of the circumstances where we may not be able to see. Looking back, it may then, oh, we see the thread of grace comfort of his presence. We may get to that point where we can say, well, I didn't see you at all, but I can see that that that, that was connected to that. And because of that, this then happened. And looking back, you can see God working through all the stuff. But at this present moment, looking forward, thinking, how will that happen? That The circumstances arranged and conspiring and thinking, How? Where? When? 
How shall it be? We may not see his hand at work, but the Christmas story says it is. For that young couple, probably teenagers, in the joy of new life and yet the threat of death, of being hounded and harassed, of becoming exiles and refugees, not just within their country, but fleeing. And looking back, they could see the plan of God, and it's been recorded for us. And we will tell it and celebrate it and honor it and, and sing carols. But it's a lot harder in the here and now to look forward. But I want to tell you and emphasize and encourage you that God is and has been working for you. He hasn't abandoned or forsaken. That in the Christmas story, in the example of Joseph, to trust God. Especially when we don't understand. And especially when you can't see him doing anything. The Christmas story is real. I want to pray a little prayer. And I hope as I pray it, you'll find some of these words of comfort. Let's pray. I believe in Jesus Christ and in the beauty of the gospel begun in Bethlehem. I believe in the one whose spirit glorified a little town and whose spirit still brings music to persons all over the world, towns both large and small. I believe in the one for whom the crowded inn could find no room. And I confess that my heart still sometimes wants to exclude Christ from my life today. I believe in the one whom the rulers of the earth ignored and the proud could never understand, whose life was among the common people and whose welcome came from persons of hungry hearts. I believe in the one who proclaimed the love of God to be invincible. I believe in the one whose cradle was a mother's arms, whose modest home in Nazareth had love as its only wealth, who looked at people and made them see what God's love saw in them, who by love brought sinners back to purity and lifted human weakness up to meet the strength of God. And I confess my everlasting need of God, the need of forgiveness for our selfishness and greed. And I confess the need for new life for empty souls, the need for love for hearts grown cold. 
I believe in God, who gives us the best of himself. I believe in Jesus, the son of the living God, born in Bethlehem that night for me and for the world.